It's not going to be the way it was 20 years ago just because life looks different and they look different. Like, thank God we change, right? Like, so things that we might have used to talk about might not be what we talk about anymore. And how do I hold space for who this person is now? It doesn't have to be that they are always your number one all of the time. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Boat. Hey friends, this week, Lindsay and I are so excited to introduce you to our friend, therapist Camille Logan. I absolutely loved this conversation. The three of us chatted all about community. And Camille shared how she's intentionally built a strong support system and friendships that span decades, life seasons, and big changes. I feel like that is a tension uh, that I'm currently in, and this episode really spoke to the season of life I find myself in. A big community transition after life change and, frankly, year three of a pandemic. If you're like me and have been wading through the awkwardness of re-engaging with old friends or creating new ones, this episode is for you. I hope that it leaves you encouraged and also affirmed that we are in the awkwardness together. I hope that this inspires you to lean into community and build the type of friendships that you deserve. Hey everyone, so excited to be here today with Camille Logan. Uh, Camille and I met a few years ago, three or four years ago, probably at the Black Mental Health Symposium in Charlotte, North Carolina, and realized we had tons in common and she's just an amazing person and an amazing therapist. She lives in Raleigh, North Carolina, and um, is thankfully doing a little bit of work with us at OnSite. So excited for y'all to get to know her and get to learn from her. So Camille, you are single. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. Yes. One of the things that we wanted to talk about just was like, how do you sort of do life as a single woman and sort of think about community. How has your singleness impacted the way that you've invested in relationships? I I think for me, my singleness has been a gift in the fact that it has really sort of always given me uh, time and resources to invest really deeply in my friendships. Has that been the case with you? Yes, for sure. Um, I love that piece that you just said, like the time and resources to invest in my friendships. Um, So I have the capacity, the bandwidth to really lean into those places of my life. And so that's a big part of who I am. I think, though, even when I'm in relationship, um, my friendships are still pretty key and pretty important. Um, And I don't know what comes first, like chicken or the egg. Is that just who I am? Or is that because I have lived a lot of life as a single person that my friendships have become more important? So when I am partnered, it still takes a pretty big, like, you know, chunk of time and energy. But yeah, I think that it definitely has allowed me to lean into my friendships more because of the ability to. And I think it's just a value of mine. I think that friendships and friendship relationships sometimes don't get as much clout or esteem as uh, romantic relationships um, just because of like society and the way that we are kind of um, the messages that we hear about romantic relationships. We don't hear as much um, about friendships. I think that's kind of changing with time, but I just think that 
there is more of a focus on romantic relationships, even if we think about developmentally, like I feel like, you know, when we're in high school and middle school, we're all, you know, in college, it's sometimes there's some people that are like, I just want to get married. Um, I just want to get married. I just want to have a partner. I just want to have a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, and really investing in those relationships. And of course, our friendships are important in that stage of life. But we all have those stories of, you know, those friends that once they started dating someone, they were, we never saw them again, or those people that they were always with a partner, always dating, and didn't have as rich of a friendship life. So yes, I do think, to answer your question, yes, I think that my singleness has caused um, me the ability to really lean into that. I have a couple of questions. One is your family life growing up. You said that uh, you really valued friendships and that you sort of were that was has always been a priority for you, even when you're in relationships. Is that something that you learned from your parents? I know that like my parents are very social and had a lot of friendships and valued that. And so I think I saw that naturally and it just normalized for me. Like this is something I'm going to continue to invest in. But I realized at some point that not all my friends were like that. Some of mm-hmm, yeah. my friends' families were really sort of faced inward and they, Mm -hmm. as soon as they met somebody, they're like, okay, I've met my person and now I'm going to like go build a family with them and we never saw them again. Yeah. Curious what your family life was like growing up and what made that a value for you? So actually the opposite. My family is very insular. We're very um, core, the four of us. And that was how it was. Um, My family, we immigrated from Jamaica. And so we were very just tight knit and you know, I hear stories of my parents when they were growing up and it was just a different um, value placed on more so like family. And so they hung out with their cousins a lot and they, you know, were spending time with family members and not so much friendships. Again, I don't know if that's a cultural thing or just the way that my family was. But then when I when we were in America and I was growing up in elementary, middle school, yeah, I started to lean heavy into my friendships, which was different than my family. I would say that in my family, I definitely am the one that's the most different of the rest. I obviously fit in and I have my role and and I'm loved and cared for in my family, but um, I am the one that has a lot of friends, has a very rich social life, whereas all the rest of my family members do not. They are more focused on family and each other. They're more, some of them are more introverted than me. So I was a big extrovert. So I needed that. I think pretty early, I kind of recognized that, that there's parts of myself that I don't get to have shine in my family life and that they get to shine with my friend life. And so I leaned into that a lot where I, I got to be silly in my friendships. I um, had a lot of emotional support in my friendships. I was able to like be a leader in my friendships um, and in school life and social life. And so I got to have that experience growing up. And then now as an adult, I've still continued that. And I think that sometimes as adults, we forget that there are parts of ourselves that don't get to shine even in a romantic relationship or with ourselves. And that's why I do think that even in our adult friendships, it's important to foster those because whether or not you're partnered or single, because there are parts of yourself that get to play with your friends that might not get to play with your spouse or your partner. And I think that when we put so much pressure on our spouse or our partner being our everything, we get into trouble. And so I think that for even for married folks that are listening to this, like, it's important to really foster that ability to play and have fun and, you know, have different conversations with friends that you might not get to have with your partner. I love that. I love the idea of not having your spouse or your partner be everything. I remember reading a quote, I think it was from Donald Miller, who was saying, I used to want someone to complete my life and now I want someone to join my complete life. 
And I think when it comes to friendships and it comes to expanding our relationships, that's such a beautiful lens. So different than I think a lot of us grew up with or seeking that romantic view of like, I'm going to meet this person and they're going to complete me. But instead, I'm going to have this rich tapestry of relationships and I'm going to have things that are important to me and interest outside of this. And I think that makes your relationship even stronger. Yeah. And you were talking about different friendships and different areas where different parts of yourself get to come out. What are some of those spaces, like you were saying, silly and Mm -hmm. all of that? Do you have, even within your friendships, like this person I know I can go to in this time of need, or this is the person who I want to go to when I just want to be silly, or is there value in having different types of friendships even within that? Yeah, because people are different, right? Like not everyone's yeah. the same. So um, so naturally, every single connection with every single person is going to be different. And so, yeah, we have certain friends that are great at certain things and sometimes even giving space for those differences because sometimes we think also that a friend should be there for all of the things. And again, yeah. it, we can't ask that of everybody. And I even think about some of the times that maybe were hard for me, whether I was going through a breakup or I was going through something hard, that even some friends aren't going to be the best in those situations, but also giving grace that not everybody is going to be everything for you in that moment and that you can hold that with compassion and more so look at like, okay, so what do I need? Um, How can Mm -hmm. I ask for it? And, or maybe I recognize and um, release and grieve that this person isn't necessarily going to be there for me in this space. And how can I get that in other places? And there might be another season for that friendship to loop back around um, or for that friend to be there for you in a different way than what you need in that moment. So I think that's big to recognize, but yeah, every friend, every friend brings something different and and is good at something different. Can you speak to, like you were even mentioning, maybe in this season, this is not the type of relationship that you and I can have. Can you speak to the seasonality even within friendships? Because I think I have had in my own life, I kind of categorize them differently. Like this is an oak tree or this is a flower Mm -hmm. tree Mm -hmm. and really lock them in of like, you're going to be my all. But I have seen, oh, you can't be there and show up for me in this season. And that's okay. And rather than being angry, say, okay, then our relationship has just changed. Um, How do you see relationships changing in the context of even life seasons changing? Yeah, I think that what's beautiful about long-term friendships, which I'm getting to the age where now I've had some friends for like 20 years, and that's beautiful in and of itself. But what is cool about that is I've gotten to journey through life with those friends and they've gotten to do the same with me. So our life literally changes. There were seasons when we were in college together. And so the friend, the friendship looked totally different when we were in college. There were seasons when so-and-so was pregnant and was, you know, had a newborn. Um, and there were seasons when this person was grieving and there were seasons when I was starting a business. Um, and so because literally life is constantly evolving, the friendship is going to evolve too. And being able to be adaptable and creative, I think in how you connect and again, holding grace that, It's not going to be the way it was 20 years ago just because life looks different and they look different. Like, thank God we change. Right. Like so they things that we might have used to talk about might not be what we talk about anymore. And how do I hold space for who this person is now? Mm. It doesn't have to be that they are always your number one all of the time. Mm -hmm. I really do believe that to be true, that there is people in our lives that are season, reason, lifetime. But the love is still there because they still gave you something in that moment and you still experienced something in that moment that was special and you needed that and that you can 
if it's just a reason or a season, you can still hold on to that with such tenderness. Yeah. It seems like in this time, especially because the pandemic, when people's lives became a lot smaller and they were not as used to sort of getting out and doing things, that a lot of people are really suffering from loneliness. And a lot of people have a lot of dissatisfaction about this area of their life, about their friendship. Yeah. What advice do you give to clients that you see? I'm sure that you talk to people that also like experience a sense of loneliness or a lack of satisfaction in their friendships. How do you tell them to like sort of think differently about friendships or start to find people or invest in people that are already there? What sort of advice do you give? Well, first, I definitely like normalize that, right? Because it is true. Um, The pandemic just, I think in general, right? Like it's shown a spotlight on all of the cracks that were already there, whether like in the macro sense um, of the world and our country, but then also in the micro sense in our families and relationships. And so definitely normalizing that, that that is what a lot of people experienced. And then normalizing or not normalizing, but encouraging folks that just like the pandemic shown a spotlight on big issues and little issues or individual issues, that it hopefully charged us to say, okay, what do I want to do different? That these last two years were not in vain, that the loss and the disappointment that we felt in the last two years, I'm going to do something about it, whether it's on a big scale about, you know, big issues or whether it's an individual scale, like my marriage or my friendships or whatever. And so if I can look at that and say, wow, I see this crack that this pandemic highlighted. Now, what do I want to do about it? And so really encouraging that, like, burning desire within them that's like, oh, I need to do something, really pushing them and propelling them forward of like, yes, you should, right? Like, let's make some changes. So that's what I would do first. And then the advice would be, how do we maybe even connect to when you were better at friendships? Like when was a season of your life that you were successful in friendships? What did that look like? What was happening for you? So that we can maybe play on those strengths. I'm pretty strength-based. So pulling on those strengths of, oh, you uh, felt really confident during that time. You were clear Mm -hmm. about your values. Um, You knew who you were and how you showed up in the world. And so therefore you were able to really foster beautiful friendships. How do we get to that stuff again so that we can do that moving forward? Recognizing what has gotten in the way of where we are now. Like, so what, what was the breakdown? Um, did I get too busy? Did I, did my mental health start to suffer? Did I um, lose my priorities? Like what started to suffer? And then again, our work in the, in the therapy room or in um, your own self work, being able to say, okay, how do I shift that so I can get back to my best self to be a good friend? Because I think that a lot of times we'll hear people be like, I don't have friends. I don't have friends. And sometimes you have to start with you, right? We even say that with, um, Romantic relationships, you hear that all the time. RuPaul, right, says, you know, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love anybody else? It's the same thing with friendships. Like if you don't, if you don't know you and love you and know how you want to be as a friend, then how do you expect other people to show up to you as a friend? So it starts as an inside job. That's the first advice. Second advice would be being creative, um, being creative and thinking outside the box of how we can make friends, how we can connect with people, what that can actually look like. We're going to have to do a lot of work on vulnerability and boldness and courage um, because it's really hard to, A, start a new friendship as an adult. And so being able to be bold in how we make friends, how we approach people, and then having the vulnerability and authenticity to, we say in the therapy world, to drop down. So meaning to like go deeper. Mm -hmm. And so when we say, how do you drop down with your friends, that you have your surface level friends that you 
you know, talk about RuPaul's Drag Race with. And then you have your deeper friends that Mm -hmm. you can drop down and you can talk about what's going on in your life, in your family life, in your own personal life, um, your inner world. And how can you show up in that vulnerable, authentic place? Because if you're showing up fake and um, guarded, Mm -hmm. then they're going to show up fake and guarded. And then those friendships aren't going to be as deep as you would love them to be. Yeah, that's a great point. Because I mean, I think sometimes we can be in a group of people and still feel really, really lonely. Yeah. And what we're really wanting is to be seen and known. And yeah. we have to be willing to show people yes. who we are and to allow them to fully know us. Um, and it, that is scary and vulnerable. Yeah, it really is. Um, we have to take that step as well if we're asking for others to take that step. Yeah. I think that, you know, Brene Brown, of course, we always talk about her in our, in our field. Um, you know, she <laughs> talks so much about trust and vulnerability. Um, and something that I kind of think about when she talks about that, and I don't think she actually says this, it's just a, a way that I think about it, is that those, those things kind of go hand in hand. Um, for me to trust somebody, I have to be vulnerable. And for me to be vulnerable, I have to trust them. And so there's sort of this like uh, circular relationship that happens between trust and vulnerability. And we kind of tiptoe and take those little baby steps with those two items. Um, but if we never take any baby steps in trust or we never take any baby steps with vulnerability, we're never going to have both of those things. You can't have one without the other. And even if we break that down to something that's not scary, like relationships, even if we broke it down to me climbing a tree, on some level, I have to trust that I can do this and then I have to take the risk to do it. And if I don't take the risk and I just think I can do it, then I don't do it. But if I Mm -hmm. think I can do it and don't take the risk, you know, vice versa, like it goes together. So the same thing with relationships. I think um, one of the things that I have been feeling in this season is that my emotional capacity felt like it shrunk in, yeah. in the pandemic. Like it just took a lot of me to exist in the day and to, to have as much as that was coming in to be able to pour out. I just felt like I didn't have a lot for my friendships. And you also had a baby in the midst of the pandemic. And I also had a baby in the middle of the pandemic. Yes, that is so very true. Lots of grace for yourself. (laughs) Yes. So I think as I'm coming out of that, I'm feeling this tension in some of my relationships Mm -hmm. to reach back out, to re-engage and kind of go deep, like you were saying. Like, I want to drop down back with people in a place where we used to be. So how do we even, like, maybe even role play that conversation? How do you enter back into relationships that maybe fell by the wayside and you want to rekindle or reignite. I know we're talking about making new friendships and I'd love to talk more Mm -hmm. about that. What are the creative ways? But if even looking around in your current community, if there's relationships you want to deepen or return to, what are, what are some of the things you can say? How do you start that conversation? How do you lean into that vulnerability? Yeah, that's so true. That that shrunken capacity is so real. I think that when every time in this pandemic that stuff started to lift, I feel like we all felt, um, and I say every time because, right, we've gone so back and forth, um, we, we started to feel like, wait, I'm only used to talking to these four people. Now you want me to talk yeah. to seven people? Like, um, now you want me to talk to yeah. 10 people? Like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. And then you had that dreaded question when you saw someone after two years and they're like, how's it been? And you're like, Fine. Like, how do you how do you say in a soundbite what has happened in the last in two the last years? You two can't. Years, like, yeah. it's impossible. And so then it does feel really fake when you're just like, oh, you know, hanging out when you've had this huge existential crisis in the last two years, like everybody else. Um, <laughs> so I think that, a, again, normalizing and validating all of that, because I, I feel that. 
gosh, that, that question was so hard. Um, how's it going? But <laughs> how do you do that? I think that when you even make new friends, right, we think about shared experiences. That's why in college it was so easy to make friends because we all lived on the same dorm and we all went to the football game together. We had so much to talk about. And then we then we were able to drop down. And so I think about with reigniting old friendships, um, then it would be the same thing. What are our shared experiences? How do we just create, let's just go to dinner. Let's just go watch this TV show together. Let's, you know, even virtually or just by text. Let's go on a trip if we have the means and capacity and resources to do that. Like, let's just connect again, have a shared experience, even if it is surface level. Eventually, we're just having something that we can talk about to be like, oh my gosh, did you watch, you know, blah, 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 when this happened? And we're just now doing something together. So I think that the creativity piece that happens that we want to encourage when we want to make new friends is the same creative piece that we want to do with our old friends. Um, Mm. So And I think that one of the things that did get born out of this, not born, but highlighted out of this pandemic, right, is we've had to be adaptable and we've had to be creative. Personally, I know for me, in terms of that capacity piece, Mackenzie, I feel like the pandemic for me shined, shown again, I don't know that word. Um, (laughs) um, It zeroed in on my friends. It actually helped me really show like who are my like close folks. And so for me, the capacity that I don't have is spreading back out to those acquaintance places, yeah. to those places that where maybe we just had coffee every now and then or those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Those feel really difficult for me because I was so close with my close folks for two years and we yeah. have gone so deep. It's hard for me to connect back out. Um, so that's been a place of growth that I've been trying to lean into yeah. and being okay with not every friend is going to be super deep. Yeah. That's okay. And that different friendships provide different things. Yeah, we talk about a sphere of relationships, and yes. I think you can get, like, if it kind of looks like a bullseye. You start in the middle, and then you build out, but if you have, they can be disproportionate. If you have only a middle, then you're going to have a concave, like, cone rather than a spread out circle like a bullseye, um, or if you have just the outside and no inside, it's going to be off balance, too, and so I love that. I love what you're saying of getting outside of just what you had the capacity for, just the center and starting to work your way back out. That's really beautiful. 100%. Yes, yes, yes. All right, y'all. It's time to get honest. Making friends as an adult can be really hard, not to mention a little awkward. I mean, most of us have lots of friends, but we still feel pretty lonely. I know that I found myself wondering, do close friendships even exist in adulthood? If you've wondered that too, you're not alone. I'm here to tell you they do, and I want to help you find them. Research shows that the key building blocks of friendships are in fact hard to come by when you're an adult with adult responsibilities. But the research also tells us that friendships aren't nice to have. They're essential for our physical and mental well-being. That's why we have to figure out this whole adult friendship thing. Together with our team, I helped put together a free interactive video series to equip you with a roadmap to build and sustain the friendships you desire. Together, we'll explore a three-step process that will equip you to create a snapshot of your current community, map out the areas of potential, and gather the courage to make the first move. I want you to join me for how to skip the BS and find a BFF, three steps to making friends as an adult. Because Who doesn't want to make a BFF? You can access this new free resource at onsiteworkshops.com slash BFF. 
I was thinking though, with this whole talk about friendships, right? Like I remember reading a couple of things. One is that uh, friendships, um, there was a big study, and I think it was like 10,000 people, um, and there was women in their 70s, and that the strength of their friendships was actually a higher predictor of health and happiness than their family. How wild, right? That that was what was what showed that they were happier and healthier. And then we have some new studies coming out talking about singleness and that single folks are actually later in life happier, more healthy, more optimistic than folks that are partnered because they have more capacity for their friendships, because they have more capacity to take care of themselves, self-care, all that jazz, that they are ending up happier and healthier and more optimistic. And again, the societal message that we get is not about friendship, right? It's about get married, have kids, buy a house, have dogs, um, right? And, and do that life. And we don't put enough into our adult friendships, right? We, we kind of get out of college and we say, okay, bye. And don't recognize that, hey, those can be lifelong. And there's a, there's a beauty and a benefit to that. Yeah. yeah. I um, recently had a baby and I'm single, as mm-hmm. I said earlier in the podcast. And it was, I had two of my close friends that were actually in labor and delivery with me. And the whole time they were there, I just felt so grateful for their presence and their willingness to be sort of in it with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just think that the process of adding this little baby to my life has like really forced me to like need my friends in a different way. And it has um, a lot of times my friends that were married um, when they'd have kids, it was like, I didn't know how to enter in to their need. You know, it's like, seemed like, oh, yeah. that's something special that they created from their relationship. And that then like they're figuring out how to be parents. We need to give them space. Mm-hmm. And that was like sort of the narrative I thought when people would have kids and that then having a child single and like having my doors flung open because I need the help has been such a yeah. gift of like allowing people in and not only for me, but also for them. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I have a lot of single girlfriends that have never had kids and they're still wrestling with those dreams for themselves. And like for them, like the other night, one of my close friends was like, hey, can I stay for your bedtime routine and like help put him down? And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that you'd like want to do that. Like I'm doing the same monotonous thing every night. Um, loving it, but you know, it just also can yeah. feel a little grindish. And uh, like that yes. somebody would like feel comfortable enough to ask, you know, and that then it like was just such a gift to both of us. And it just is, it's been such a tangible reminder of being able to meet people where they are and like be honest about. I, I so want to always have everything together and not need people, but like to be reconciled that I do have needs and that people want to move in towards me and help if I can like be honest has just been yeah. a gift. You've given people a blueprint. Like I think mm-hmm. that's what I've seen from the outside is you've given people a blueprint of how to engage into your life and how to help you where I think maybe out of necessity, but it's been really beautiful to see you engage in your friendships in that way and give people a blueprint of how to care for you. Yes. Yes. I feel like 
one, personally, right, Lindsay, I feel like you, I just, I love seeing other single women just, I say, killing the game um, and mm-hmm. and being creative and being adaptable, like we've already talked about, and saying that I can create family relationship connections in a way that looks unorthodox in quotation marks um, yeah. than what is traditional. And I can still be loved, supported, cared for, flourishing, all of those things. And so watching your journey has, you know, just been such a cool thing to watch because, yeah, why not? You are supported. You are loved. And I think, again, I, I deal with this so much with, with clients, right? We think that the only way to feel supported and loved is to have a romantic partner. And sometimes we have to say, pause, 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 pause. What are your spheres? Who are the people that are there? And recognizing that, no, you are deeply known and loved by your friends just as much as you probably, just as much, maybe more the same as what you would if you were to have a part, a romantic partner. The second thing that just like warmed my heart as you were talking about that is I loved when you said, allow people in. And I know, I remember distinctly when I was in my little twenties and my friend, my first Mm -hmm. friend told me that she was pregnant. And I remember being like, and she's one of my best friends. And I was like, Oh God, everything's going to change. Right? Like I, I was just like, that's it. There they go off into the abyss, into their married life, their married baby life. But I didn't want that to happen. um, And neither did she. And so we both allowed each other in. I still talk to her about my single girl fiascos. I still talk to her about my career and all the stuff that's going on in my life. And she talks to me about her kids. And I'm very much um, invested in her children and, you know, make hearing how they're doing and, and trying to connect with them in the ways that I can. And I think that on both ends, we can get into a narrative that, oh, they don't care about my single life or on the married person's end, oh, she doesn't care about my married baby life. And it's yep. not, not true at all. Allowing each other to connect in those life stages because it's important. I have another friend that I don't, I, I don't know if I want kids <clears throat> and I love Harry Potter. Um, and one of my dreams was always to read Harry Potter with my kids. And I'm like, well, I don't know if that's going to happen. And so I'm going to start reading Harry Potter with one of my friends' kids, right? And so we're going to Zoom and, and check in and be able to still do that. So I still get that that experience and yeah. I'm getting to connect and then her kids are getting to connect to me and I'm getting to connect to her life. So all of that stuff gets to happen um, because we're allowing each other in. I want to go to my friends' kids' soccer games. I want to be able to hear how school is going and let me listen to you read and um, you know all those kind of things that I might not get to experience and then vice versa. My married friends, I always sometimes will say, you know, you're always welcome to bring so-and-so when we go out to dinner. And they're like, no, I want to go out to dinner without my kids. Like I want to have the fun night out um, where we're out later than bedtime and I'm out having a drink with you at nine o'clock at night. And so my married friends want to be in part of my life too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So just being, I loved what you said, allow people in. I just really loved that. I, I, I at one point read a statistic about how many American adults were single and there were like more people single than are actually partnered. And I was like, that is just mind blowing. That is not how, like what we see in the media. And that's not like how it seems like what it feels like a lot of times when you're single, it feels like you're the only one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and I just was like, how do we start to shift culture to acknowledge that a lot of people aren't partnered and are like just operating with that unorthodox life, which isn't so unorthodox. 
and doesn't have to be less than, right? First of all, I didn't know that stat. So thank you for sharing that. But then also that people that are single do feel like, well, my life hasn't started yet, or my Mm -hmm. life will be great when this happens, or I'm not complete yet. You know, we watch, I I sadly watch The Bachelor and Bachelorette. um, And every (laughs) season, right, we have, um, my life is perfect, but it's missing this thing. And so we have these narratives that life isn't complete until we check that box. What I keep hearing in even in The Bachelor, is that Mm. we all need to do our own work. Like you were talking about, there's not a hierarchy, but the greatest predictor you're saying is is relationships or, and I think a lot of times single people are doing their work in a way that maybe um, someone who's partnered isn't. But I think the greatest relationships also happen out of doing your own work and being in a relationship with people who are willing to engage in the trenches with you. And so mm-hmm. I just, that would be my encouragement throughout this whole conversation that I keep hearing is, is to do your own work, to be someone who is pursuing health, whether you're in a relationship, whether you're single, because I think you, every relationship in your life benefits from that. We always say, you know, the best way to have healthy relationships is to have a healthy you. And so mm. that's just my little, my little two cents and encouragement today in this conversation, what I keep hearing I think you guys say, um, right, like when you change, the world around you changes, right? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so that, yeah, that that idea that when you do your work, the stuff around you, the people around you, the relationships around you, that's what's going to, that's how that's going to change. I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of podcasts, yeah. Um, yeah. I would love to hear more about the podcast that you've launched recently. We have done a an episode on the Enneagram. Um, and so our audience might be a little bit familiar with it, but just would love to hear about the catalyst for that and sort of how it's going. Yeah. So, um, I started a podcast. It launched in February, just so recently, and it is called Enneagram for the culture. Um, and so, um, like you said, most people kind of have heard of that, maybe, um, the Enneagram, and there's because there's a lot of talk about it. We see it on the internet, we see it on Instagram, we hear it in folks' churches, we hear it in therapy offices, the Enneagram, the Enneagram, and the Enneagram. Um, and so it's this personality typing test um, that I really like, and it seems to make a lot of sense, and a lot of people really like it because of its ability to have moments of compassion for us, um, understanding, mm-hmm. and then also moments of growth. Um, and I, I have not seen a personality test be able to weave all of those things in so beautifully and so accessibly um, with language yeah. that makes sense. So there's a lot about the Enneagram, but what we don't see is actually that there's not a lot about the Enneagram from the lens of people of color. Um, the Enneagram world is pretty, is very white, um, not pretty yeah. white, very white. Um, so when you're looking at books or podcasts or Instagram accounts, um, majority of the teachers and experts in the field are white folks, um, whether they are clinicians or just experts on the Enneagram. And so my friend and I got into the Enneagram and she's also a therapist. And we start, we saw that. We saw that, wow, this is a lot of white people. Um, <laughs> um, and so we said, why? Right. And what, what is that about? And then let's do something different about it because why not? Right. There's, there's a need and there's a gap here and there is a, a missing conversation because if we're talking about the Enneagram, which is talking about our identities, um, talking about our personalities and the way that we move through the world, then we 100% have to put race into that. Just like when we hear, when we talk about the Enneagram, you hear gender a lot. Um, You hear about gender when you talk about eights, you hear about gender when you talk about twos, you hear gender um, when you talk about different numbers. And so, of course, because gender is part of our identity. So, of course, we're going to talk about it in the Enneagram, but you don't hear 
how race shows up. And so what are the different messages that certain numbers have to compete against or some of the messages that certain numbers really uh, succumb to, just like, again, when we talk about gender and the Enneagram. So we started this podcast um, to highlight that, to talk about how race intersects with the Enneagram and what certain numbers need to be aware of in terms of their racial identity. Yeah. How has your racial identity sort of layered on top of the knowledge that you've learned about the Enneagram? And yeah, how is that woven together for you personally? I think that the way I'm a seven and the way that certain things hit harder for me because of maybe racial issues that are going on, that sounds really broad. So I noticed when hard things were happening in the world around race, um, especially in the last two years, Mm -hmm. um, I noticed the way that it hit me and I definitely was able to trace that back to my sevenness in the sense that it was very hard. And there's a quote and we don't need, we're not talking about sevens, but there's a quote that says that the saddest place on the Enneagram is a seven who can't reframe. Mm -hmm. And um, so when you have really huge issues going on and a seven can't reframe that, which is what we do like breathing, it gets really sad. Um, And so when we think about the pandemic and racial uprisings and, and feeling that stuckness, that was something that I was, the, the Enneagram was able to give me language around that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't known about the Enneagram of like, wait, why does this feel like this is hitting me really hard? Obviously it was hitting every black person hard, but. Um, yeah, but your unique experience as a seven of it, that's really interesting. Exactly. When I think about personally, again, just noticing the times that I was in trainings um, or I'm reading books and I'm hearing trainers talk about certain numbers and I'm able to go, hmm, wait a minute we're missing something here. Yeah. You know, as, as black people, we, we have this thing, uh, it's called double consciousness. What it means is that we are always thinking about two things. Um, we're thinking about how I'm showing up and then how like white people are showing up. Like it's, it's two things are happening. And so when I'm in a training, any training, it doesn't have to be Enneagram, it can be anything. I'm thinking about, okay, I'm understanding what you're saying, but then what about for this? Like, what about for black people? What about what about this is is different because of this lens um, or what is um, just an added flavor? And I, I think that not to, you know, sometimes we do this where we'll say girls understand this too, but kind of we do. Like if you, if you are in a room, you kind of think, but what about for women? Huh? Yeah. I'm going to have to do that differently because I'm a girl. And so the same thing for black people, like, huh, I'm going to have to do that differently, or this is a different experience for me. So when I'm in trainings for the Enneagram and I'm hearing certain things being talked about, I am thinking, hmm, but wait a minute, that's different for me, or that's different for people that look like me. And so being able to bring voice to that difference, I think by now, hopefully everybody that's listening understands that there, you know, all those things about you can't be what you can't see, um, that is important for us to have representation. It's important for us to have conversations um, that are inclusive um, and that our people can hear and see and understand what things look like and sound like from people that look like and sound like them, that that is important and that we value that. And so we need to bring that to all of our conversations, including the Enneagram. And so that's what we've done. Yeah, I love it. The Enneagram for me has been such a helpful resource of just helping me realize how different we all are Mm -hmm. and all the different sort of layers that make us us. And where some people might look at it as like a typing system that like is a box that you live within. For me, it's just like, oh, these are like lenses and layers that people live within and helps me have a degree of compassion, which you stated earlier for them and a a sense of understanding of like, hey, like 
people aren't seeing the world the way I see the world. And that is so true of what I, the work that I've done around diversity, equity, and inclusion is like Mm -hmm. that my vantage point as a white cisgender woman is limited and I need to do the work of understanding the layers, not just of people's personalities in the Enneagram because it's fun, but the layers of how their upbringing and their ethnicity has impacted them and, and their experience. That's a lot of the work that we do here at Onsite. It's like we've all had these childhoods that we're continuing to live out in our adulthood because there are messages that we did or didn't receive about how we should be in the world. So I love that y'all are adding your voice and your experience into the conversation so that we might understand and continue to have our eyes Mm -hmm. opened and just see uh, the beautiful richness that exists in the world. 100%. I mean, I think that, thank you. You're welcome. Um, I think that, you know, we sometimes, sometimes I can't speak for everybody, but sometimes um, we don't, we don't, we fail to remember that diversity just adds. It always just adds. Mm -hmm. Um, If we can have other conversations, a multitude of vantage points, a multitude of voices, that just makes things better. Because if one thing is just all the same, then we're missing out. And so even when I think about the Enneagram for the culture, you know, sometimes we'll have white folks are like, well, can I listen to that? It's like, yeah, diversity adds you knowing this, you understanding this and being able to see a different perspective is just going to make life better. And I think that, you know, I think sometimes um, white folks that sometimes can grow up and can live in worlds that are just people that look like them, they forget that, yeah, no, adding a different voice makes it richer. A stupid example is I love Survivor. And right now, after everything that happened in the summer of 2020, CBS made a commitment that said, um, we are committed to all of the people on our reality TV shows. We will have 50% diversity. Um, So we will have 50% people of color as contestants on our reality TV shows. And so across the board, they've done that. And you can see that the seasons are better, like, because there's Mm. different stories, there's different people, there's different ways of looking at something because diversity makes things richer. And so sometimes people can look at that and be like, well, that's not fair, you know, or that's not, you know, why are we doing that? Whatever. But when we really boil it down, it's like, because diversity is a good thing. It makes things just more full and well-rounded and we hear different stories because people are different than us. That's why you hear all those stories about people that read books, how they have higher levels of empathy. It's because they're getting to learn about a different character and they're putting themselves in another person's shoes mm. when they read a book. Um, yep. And so it's the same thing. It's just being able to add more stories. And that's that's the good stuff of life, right, is different stories and how they have redemptive, yeah. beautiful arcs. Um, and if we don't step into different stories, then we miss out on that. Yeah. My daughter has a book that's called Two Eyes, a Nose, and a Mouth. Like, And it's like, that's what you see on every face you look. But there's a part that says, how boring the world would be if everyone looked like you and me. Again yeah. and again, we see the same face until we wish for another to take its place. And you open it and it's like all the exact same face and there's a huge grit of it. Yeah. And I think that's just like such a simple thing as you were talking. That line was going through my head of, mm-hmm. and then you turn the next page and it's a grit of like all different faces. Yeah. Millions and millions of faces, but no one looks like you. And so it's, I think it's so beautiful to say it's not a subtract, it's an addition mm-hmm. to. It's an um, addition. And I just, I love that you were sharing that. And I wanted to personally thank you that you sharing about your experience as a seven, as a woman of color was so expansive for me, even in just hearing mm-hmm. of saying, 
like one, I felt really validated. Like, yes, as a seven, the last two years have been really hard because mm-hmm. I have been in a constant state of trying to reframe when there's mm-hmm. not a lot that I could mm-hmm. reframe from a hopeful mm-hmm. vantage point. Mm-hmm. And then to put an additional lens on it to say, mm-hmm. it's a privilege for me to be able to lift out even the little bit more that I have been able to because my racial identity is not tied to this. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a privilege to care and it's a privilege mm-hmm. to lean in and, and see it so thank you for sharing that and thank you for yeah. making my life more rich today and sharing your mm-hmm. diversity of experiences and expanding my understanding of what it means to be a woman who is a seven. Yeah, 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 we have that in common. Um, I love that book. That is a really cute book. I'm going to write that down. Um, we love in my practice, um, we have some kids books in our waiting room. We do not see children, um, but we um, <laughs> But we have um, we have kids books in the waiting room because sometimes the kids books just get right to it and they get right to the um, the core without it being all these words and all this fluff. And um, and so I'm going to write that one down to add to our collection. Camille, a couple quick questions in closing. One is what is your favorite children's book? And then two, Mm -hmm. what is something that you try to do kind of every day to keep you centered? Uh, my favorite children's book, Nostalgia Factor. I'm going to go with the, what's the I Love You Forever. Um, mm. I just think that's just a sweet nostalgic book. But a book that I'm liking right now as a kid's book, the one that we added recently to our waiting room, is The Rabbit Listened. And I know, I think you guys sell it in huh. the store. Um, oh, but just so talking about the power of people being with you again. I mean, hi, we're talking about friendship. Like that's a great book for that, that, um, we don't need to fix. We don't need to change. Um, but that just the rabbit listened. Um, and that was what was encouraging and activating for the, whatever the animal was that once the rabbit listened, then the person or the thing was able to then do what it needed to do to kind of create the change that it needed. So I think that's beautiful. So that's my new, my like latest one. And then what do I do every day to stay grounded? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Probably, honestly, to connect with people. Um, Yeah. I think that if I was in a world where I couldn't connect to folks, whether it's text message or or my job or even even sometimes on social media, I think sometimes social media gets a lot of times social media gets a bad rap for for good reason. But I think that sometimes being really um, clear about how social media functions for you, sometimes even in a positive way. Um, and something that I've yep. learned is that for me, social media is a good thing. It, it helps me connect with folks. Um, and that's, again, something that the Enneagram actually gave me language for was that it actually helps me. It helps me ground um, to be able to be on social media because it gives me an outlet of um, energy a little bit. So anyways, that's a side note. But yeah, being able to connect would be how I ground and stay kind of authentic to me is being connected to folks. I love that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. This has been great. I've loved this conversation. This is wonderful. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 
7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.